Um, we've been doing a series on peacemaking. Life is full of breakdowns, issues, relationship problems, disputes, little ones, big ones, very big and very serious ones. And Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Remember? Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. We're called to be peacemakers. Last time, we thought a little bit about this. It's a difficult, it's a difficult task, this. The temptation is to be peacebreakers. Right? People who just want to go into arguments and get my way and assert my authority. That's one temptation. The other temptation is to be peace fakers, where we just sweep it over, maybe don't deal with it, and just harbour resentment and bitterness and those kind of things. It's easier to be peace breakers or peace fakers, genuinely a task in front of us to be peace makers. But I did say there's opportunity here, right? We talked about stewarding conflict. It could be something that God uses mightily to make me more like Jesus, to make our church a more united and loving place, and to bring all of us together uh, in a way that brings God great glory. And that is the goal. Isn't that the goal of our lives? That the God of all peace, who's made peace with us, a peacemaking God might be known throughout our town. People would come and see, look at the God of peace whom these people worship, these peacemakers here. That's the goal. And you know, you don't have to be a gifted speaker, an eloquent prayer, you don't have to have good Bible knowledge and all of those things to be a peacemaker. But I can tell you that all of those things won't count for ten times what you can achieve by being a person of peace. You can know all the Bible material in the world. You might be a very gifted and eloquent leader and speaker. You might be a wonderful prayer. You might do all of these tremendous things. But I can tell you that a person who makes peace will do far greater for the Lord than all of those things put together. Okay. I'm going to... This is the second part, then, of this four-part series, and I'm basing it on a, a book called The Peacemaker by Ken, Ken Sanday. You're very welcome to get a hold of that. Particularly, I would, I would encourage that. You can, get, um, you can download it as an audio book, you can download it as a, an electronic e-book, or you can get a hard copy. Particularly if you're, if you're going through a particular conflict, um, it might be a really good thing. You can listen to this book in four hours on... Uh, the audio version might be a good thing to go through if you're facing something at the moment but otherwise good thing to prepare with uh, that's the book that i'm sort of roughly basing this series on and this talk is called get the log out of your eye so i'm gonna read the passage where jesus says this it's a well-known well familiar well-used passage from matthew 7 sermon on the mount and he says this this is matthew 7 do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why? 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Jesus is addressing everyone there. It's not just Pharisees. It wasn't just religious bigots that he spoke those words to, but it was to the crowds. The crowds on the mountainside. He was speaking to everyone. And he says, we're speck finders. Or if you like, speck saviors. We look for other people's specks. That is who we are. That is what we do. And we love to do it. We love to look at other people and say, let me, oh, do you know what? Let me just show you. Maybe, maybe I'll bless you. Can I bless you and show you some of the things that you're doing wrong? <laughs> can I just, um, listen, can I just love to draw alongside. We might dress it in all kinds of language. I've been having a chat with the pastor, and I'd love to just share with you a little something that's on my heart. There might be all kinds of ways we come about it, politely, religiously, but we love it. We're speck saviors. We love to save one another from the specks in their eyes. But the call of our Lord Jesus upon our lives as Christians is to do radical self-examination first. That's the call. Whenever conflict arises whenever there's a dispute and we're hurt and we want to go and take the speck out of someone's eye Jesus says first you need to take a look at yourself your own eye and the massive log that's in there and it's quite humorous this passage isn't it have you read it before it's quite funny it's quite ironic because he says you've got a massive log a huge log and it's in your eye, the eye you're using to try and take the speck out of your brother's eye, and you can't see it. Do you notice that? Jesus has to point it out to his listeners. You can't see this log even though it's in your eye. You're blind to it. And so you need to be made aware of it. Now, I find it interesting that this, in this current cultural moment, we're talking about unconscious things. You heard of phrases like unconscious bias. Heard that phrase? Or unconscious prejudice. Um, doing things to other people, making choices, saying things perhaps, showing a preference perhaps, because of an, an unconscious process. We're not even aware of it. We're not aware of it, we don't know what we're doing, and yet, someone's getting hurt. Now I find it so interesting that right now we're putting our finger on something that the Lord Jesus has said long ago, and the prophets before him, that there will be things in our lives 
There'll be stuff going on that you cannot see. And they're our biggest problems. Can I say that? Again, maybe. Our biggest problems are the ones we can't see. They're big logs. That's the point of the, uh, the picture, isn't it? Your biggest problems, these are big logs. Your biggest problems are the ones you can't see. And so, Jesus is saying, give your time to, give your energy to, give your resources to getting these logs out. That's where you need to spend most of your time in getting your logs out of your eye. And it wasn't just Jesus. Let me just jump back a few hundred years to the prophet Jeremiah. We'll know this verse. Jeremiah 17, do you know what he says? One of the prophets said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand the hearts, those inmost places, from where these things come? It takes effort and energy, reflection, the help of others, to get these logs out. Naturally, we're speck finders, but Jesus is calling us to be a people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling us to be a people who concentrate more than anything else on our own logs. And I have three things. And then that's the conclusion of this part. Three things about delogging, taking out logs, getting logs out of our own eyes. Three things just to think about. Number one, the bigger the conflict, the longer you need to spend delogging your eyes. Number two, to delog, to get these logs out, God's given us at least his word, his church, and himself. We'll talk about that. And then number three, delogging requires detailed confession and repentance. And I'm just going to go through those at the end. Okay, so firstly, <clears throat> the bigger the conflict, like the bigger the situation you're facing, I don't know if that's something you're facing now, you've got a conflict on, the bigger it is, the longer you need to spend de-logging your eyes. Let me tell you a story uh, about a pastor who had a very, very bad relationship with his wife. He says this, my wife and I fought a lot early in our marriage. My wife became increasingly emotional and hypersensitive. I became increasingly cold and insensitive. We had a shouting match almost every day about something. One day his wife said to him this, before we were married I was confident. I liked myself and I thought most people liked me. After a year of marriage to you, I feel like I've lost all my self-esteem. After a year of fighting, he says, we were both sick of our marriage and wanted to divorce. Now let me tell you what the husband in this case did. Right? And I know that not everyone's married here, but I think it's a helpful principle to see. This is what he did. He decided for a whole year he would shut his mouth, he would not say anything critical to his wife, um, he would simply listen 
and examine himself for his faults. So, so he said to his wife, <laughs> thanks, Mitch. He said, he said this to his wife, all I've done is criticize and rebuke you, so for the next year, I promise not to bring up any of your sins or your faults. If you ask me a question, I'll answer it honestly, but I will only talk about my faults. For now, any wrong I see in you, I will simply pray about it. What do you think of that? Interesting, isn't it? Really serious. A marriage relationship on the rocks. Really serious. So what's the drastic action that that husband took? A year of self-examination. Self-examination. Now that could work its way out in all kinds of different situations in a similar way. Maybe it's a workplace dispute. Maybe it's a dispute with someone in your family, someone in church. First step might be, I'm going to take some time out now. I'm going to figure out what's going on in here. The bigger the problem, the bigger the dispute, the more serious, the longer we spend delogging our eyes. First principle. Second principle. God has not left us on our own to delog our eyes, to take these logs out. So the second thing, he's given us his word. This thing here, I don't know if you go through the Bible in a sort of a, a reading plan or have any sort of way to methodically work your way through scripture, but do you know, this book is full of horrible people <laughs> and people who do very nasty and vindictive and are selfish and greedy things. And you meditate on these people and these stories, which are quite uncomfortable a lot of the time, and they're there for a reason. As well as all the other teaching and wisdom and songs and prayers that we find here, this is full of material that holds up a mirror to your own life. And you'll see in the stories and you'll hear in the teachings of this book the ways in which you or I might be failing to. God gives us his word. So don't just pick out little verses that are, that are handy and useful for a bit of motivation. Go through it. Search it. Long for this every day to show you. It will show you new things. Do you know, it's funny. I used to, the prodigal son, do we know the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal who runs away from his father's house and gets lost in the far country has to come back. I used to really identify with the prodigal son when I was younger. And that story spoke to me in ways back then. These days, I identify with the older brother. It's funny how scripture's taken me on a journey. These days, I think of myself much more like the religious older brother who's getting angry. The Bible's showing me new things. That's one thing God's given us. He's given us each other in the church. We want to belong. I, I take it that uh, we're, we're not the kind of people who just want to rock up to church on Sunday and then come back next week. I take it we're a kind of people who want to belong together in this church. I hope so. I pray so. I pray that is the case. We want to belong 
and know each other deeply. But let me tell you what that brings with it. Belonging, honest belonging, knowing each other, will mean that other people can see things about you. But that could be a blessing. To sit down with a brother or sister and say honestly, please, would you, would you show me? Would you help me see in my own life uh, what the mistakes are that I'm making? What are my faults? Would you talk me through that? I once had a friend uh, when I was at university and um, he voluntarily said to me, I'd like to just show you, Michael, my, um, my diary. Well, it wasn't a diary, it was on his, his device. Um, my bank statement, uh, his phone. I want to show you all these things because I want you to look closely into my life and tell me what's going on. I want to be honest and open with you so that you can see what my priorities are, what my desires are, what the things I am thinking about, and speak into that and help me see what the logs are. He has a really good X-ray questions. Let me just read you a couple of them. He has a good example of questions you might ask yourself to search out your desires. Here are a few. Um, what am I preoccupied with? What is the first thing on my mind in the morning, the last thing on my mind at night? What do I want to preserve or avoid at all costs? What do I fear? Is there something I desire so much I am willing to disappoint or hurt others in order to have it? These x-ray questions to show us our desires because from those desires, if we get basically much of our conflict, our anger, and all of these disputes arise from unmet desires. So the Lord's going to have to show us what our desires are. People can help with that. But the third thing that God's given us, apart from his word and each other, is himself. I'm 38. Right? Others may be older here. You get to a certain age, and it's almost embarrassing to admit that you have stuff to deal with. I feel like as a 38-year-old, I, I should be able to handle stuff. I should have dealt with my sin and my selfishness by now as a 38-year-old man. Maybe you feel that too. And so it feels a bit embarrassing. It almost feels a little bit anxiety-inducing to go looking for things in my heart which are not right. But the Lord has given us himself in order for us to do that safely. There is no sin in our lives, there's no desires in our hearts so sinister, so twisted, so messed up that Jesus hasn't paid for them all. And so even as we go on this journey, and it's sometimes a very distressing, hurtful, revealing journey into our desires to know that Jesus has given himself entirely so that we can freely do that without condemnation. There is no sin so wicked and so sinister and so dirty and so horrible that we can't bring it into the light 
It's all paid on the cross. And even though I might feel like I should have sorted this by now, we can still go and root it out because we have freedom in Christ. God's given us himself. All right. Finally, we've said the bigger the issue, the longer we spend delogging. God's given us great tools to help us find out what's going on in our lives, his word, his church himself. And then thirdly and finally, to actually get the log out. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us much about how to get a log out of your eye, but that's what we're filling, and we're filling in some of the blanks here in this passage. Um, and I'm going to put on the screen now the seven A's of confession and repentance. Now, just like you, if you want, you can take a photo of it on your phone, maybe dwell on each of these a little bit later. They're going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to very quickly go through these because I... Uh, this, is, this is what um, Ken in his book says, and, and basically what he's doing is reflecting on times when people confess their sins in the Bible. So you might look at um, Zacchaeus. You might look at uh, King David. You might look at um, different people in different situations who are confessing their sins. The prodigal son might be another one. And what they did. And he's come up with these seven A's. This is important. This is how you get the logs out once you've found them. Number one, to make a confession and repentance properly, as in we're going to say sorry, I'm going to admit my wrongs, I'm going to say sorry, and I'm going I'm to repent, turn around. First of all, address everyone involved. So if it's just you and someone else, we need to talk to that person. If it's you and three other people, you need to talk to all three of them. It's not good enough, is it, just to come to church and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, though that is a great start. It's not even good enough to go to a priest and say, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. Though that might be a good start. We go beyond that. We speak to the person themselves and say, I've sinned. And I need to tell you about it. Second, avoid if, buts, and maybes. These are confession destroyers and you need to avoid them at all costs. It, is, it goes like this. Maybe I was a little selfish, but you hung up on me and that wasn't cool, or whatever. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but you were late. I shouldn't have lost my temper, but I was tired. Right? Those buts, they kill the confession. Stone dead. It means nothing. You're basically saying, in fact, you may even be using your confession as a tool. The thing I really want to say was, you were late, but in order to get hearing, I'm going to make some pseudo-confession up front. So it's using confession as a tool. Avoid it. Right? It comes a lot better if it was, I'm sorry, I was selfish. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I shouldn't have lost my temper. So avoid if, buts, and maybes. Admit specifically is the third one. It's no good just to say I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, aren't we? Uh, I'm a sinner just like the next one. It's not specific. 
we need to be specific in saying what it was that I did. So you might say, I was angry. I was more bothered about protecting my, my own reputation than our relationship. I said hurtful things to you yesterday afternoon, and I'm sorry. You've got to get specific with people and say what it is that you've done to hurt them. Sometimes even um, scripture and reflecting on what you've done in failure before God can help here. So I was selfish, I was greedy, and God is showing me just how ugly that is. Especially if you're speaking to another Christian. It adds a layer. It adds a layer of authenticity. But we've got to be specific. What was it that you're saying sorry for? Specifically. Fourthly, acknowledge the hurt. Show that you understand to the other person that it's hurt them what you've done. I'm sorry for my anger last night. I can see how much that is making you feel sad and upset and losing energy and sleep. I can see that now. And that's why I'm coming to you to say sorry. Five, accept consequences. This may be your whole manner of different things that you might think up in advance. If it's a workplace thing, it might be, look, I've failed in this role, and I, I completely understand if I need to step down for a season. It might be, I'm keen to pay back what I owe. If there's something material involved, someone's lost money or lost goods or must whatever, I'm keen to pay that back. How can I pay this back to you? Or I've figured out a way I might be able to pay back what I owe. You might need to speak to others because you've told lies. I'm going to speak to these people. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet that person on Tuesday. I'm going to tell them that I lied to them. And then I'm going to meet so-and-so on Thursday, and I'm going to write so-and-so an email to tell them that I, I told them lies about you. Alter your behavior. Oh, sorry, accept the consequences. Alter your behavior, number six, with specific plans. So it could be, again, it could be a whole manner of things. It could be about habitual behaviors and addictions that you need to address. So you might be saying, look, I, I appreciate I have an issue with this thing. I'm addicted to this, or it's a problem for me, and I'm seeking help to get that sorted out. I'm going on a course. I'm going to a particular person. I've got an accountability group. I'm meeting with a, with a prayer triplet, whatever. We're going to talk this through. They're going to help me. Make plans. How are you going to address the things that you've done wrong? And finally, if they haven't offered forgiveness, ask for it. After all of those six steps, you might give it some time, but after some time you might say, look, I'm coming to you now for forgiveness. Do you forgive me? But give people the space and the time for that. All of that is hard. Isn't it? But that, there, those seven things are a terrific investment. Going through a process like that with someone is going to be so healing. It's going to bring you to a place where you're more free 
out of prisons. It's going to bring the whole situation to some sort of peaceful resolve and God's going to get the glory. Peacemaking. So in summary, Jesus calls us to be de-loggers of our own eyes. It is our calling as brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, to be people who recognize we love taking specks out. And Jesus is calling us to a different kind of life. I'm going to be the kind of person who looks at my own faults. That's where I'm going to spend time. That's where I'm going to spend time, looking at my own faults and digging out logs in my own eyes. And then three principles just to hold on to. Number one, the bigger the crisis, the more time we spend delogging. Two, God's given us things to help us. His word, each other in the church, and himself. We have freedom in Christ to explore the depths of our sin. And finally, it requires actually getting these logs out. The way it happens is confession and repentance. And if you look through the scriptures at confession and repentance done well, you'll find all of those. If you want to see it, if you want to see him elaborate on all of that and show how he gets this from the scriptures, get the book. But he goes through different examples in the scriptures showing how all of these make for true and genuine confession, repentance, and extracting logs out of our eyes. Let's pray. Perfect timing. The children are here, and uh, we look forward to hearing what they say. Let's pray together. Lord God, we um, pray to you, our God of peace, for these things that we've heard to settle into our hearts and make a difference. Help us, Lord, if we're going through issues right now, if there's conflicts and disputes that we're in the middle of right now, Lord, to go through something of a process here of self-examination, self-searching, and getting logs out. Lord, may this be our default, our natural place where we come to first and foremost as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes great care, great effort, but Lord God, we pray for your help. Please help us, inspire us, and aid us in this process. May we be there for one another as we do this. Keen, honest, open with each other, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.